Hello and welcome to the latest Moneymakers Weekly Investment Trust podcast. I'm Jonathan Davis, the editor of the Investment Trust Handbook. Sadly, for the members of the Simon Elliott fan club, of which I know there are many, Simon is actually away this week. He's taking a well-earned rest after a very busy start to the year. So I should be doing this podcast on my own, racing through some of the announcements that are important this week and also talking about the markets. But in addition, I am also going to include a short extract from another podcast, which I do on a regular, though not a weekly basis. And that is a podcast called Moses and Methuselah, uh, in which I spend half an hour talking to a very good friend, a fund manager, Peter Silen, who is the founder and chairman of Silen Investment Management, a firm that has a very distinctive investment style, not dissimilar to Terry Smith's Fundsmith, focusing on large liquid global equities, companies that can be expected to withstand most kinds of economic environment. The other reason that I do this podcast with Peter is that his family hails from Austria, though his firm is based in London, and his family perspective, his Austrian background, gives him a very different and interesting take on what's happening in Eastern Europe, including, of course, the most recently, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So I thought I'd throw that into the mix this week as a, if you like, a counterpoint to the fact that Simon is not here. So in any case, let's kick off by having a quick look at the markets this week. We came to the end of the first quarter and my word, what an interesting quarter it's been. Uh, Very good for some, not so good for others. The end of the first quarter is often a period when fund managers take a look at their performance year to date and try and plan their strategy for the rest of the year, given where they are at this point. It may or may not be a coincidence that uh, two of the worst bear markets we've seen in the last 20 years or so started in March around this time of year after just such a first quarter. Uh, I'm talking about 2000 and also uh, 2007. So in this period, though, this week, uh, we've seen the markets have made quite a strong recovery the, the week before. They started this week, again, fairly robust form, but uh, that tailed off towards the end of the week. And uh, The US stock market, as I'm talking to you, I'm recording this on Friday, late Friday afternoon, Wall Street is back closing, or at least is trading around the point at which it started the week. So there has been something of a uh, retracement of some of those gains in equities. And meanwhile, bond yields continue to remain at uh, what are very elevated levels by recent historical standards, though not, of course, in the longer course of history. The yield curve is very flat, I'm looking at the current prices and the yield on the 30-year bond is about 2.45% and the yield on the 10-year note is just under that, 2.38. So just a little bit below, but it's almost flat between those two terms, maturity dates. And the two-year note is also at 2.436. That's one of the measures that is often looked at, the ratio between two-year and 10-year US Treasury yields. And that is currently very marginally inverted, as we say, with the two-year bond yield slightly higher than the 10-year bond yield. Uh, Now, inverted yield curves often cause great excitement in the investment community because they are often seen as a precursor to a recession, or at least in the sense that most recessions that do in the end occur have been preceded at some point by inversion of the yield curve. But there's a lot of controversy between market participants about exactly whether an inverted yield curve does foretell a recession. But I think what we can say is that it's very clear that uh, the market is now pricing in, or has decided to price in, uh, 
not only significant tightening by the Federal Reserve and other central banks, but also anticipating looking ahead to a slowdown in economic growth, which is one of the consequences of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. There, of course, in that uh, horrible conflict this week, we've been looking for evidence that the Russians are indeed withdrawing from their campaign to take Kiev and other cities in the north to concentrate on the eastern Donbass region. Again, some disagreement whether that is actually sincere uh, statement of new war objectives. And the other main development there has been, apart from the continued fighting and obviously horrendous scenes of continued refugee flight into other countries, has been the Russian decision to hit back against sanctions by demanding that uh, Western countries pay for Russian oil and gas in rubles, which is obviously an attempt to uh, counter the steps that the, the West has made to uh, tighten the screw on the Russian economy. We're not quite sure how that will play out, though it has been the case that the oil price has slightly moderated this week. Looking at the futures price, it's currently around $100 a barrel for US crude, and uh, for Brent crude, it's around $105, which again is uh, slightly down on the week. From uh, 110 it was at the beginning of the week. Well, it's more than slightly down. It's down by around getting off a 10%. So all these big trends are playing out, continue to play out. And in terms of the investment trust sector, well, what we've seen the first four days of the week has been, uh, again, a mixed pattern. The uh, close-ended fund index rose in the first couple of days of the week, on Monday and Tuesday, but then has uh, sold off a little bit uh, on Wednesday and Thursday. So it's ended the week trading on a discount of around 4.7%, which is slightly better than it was at the end of last week when it got up to uh, something over 5.5%. So as year to date, the Investment Trust Index is still lagging the uh, All Share Index by around 9%. So minus 8.5 against plus 0.5 for the FTSE All Share Index as at the close of Thursday. So continuing the pattern that we've seen throughout this first quarter. We might take a look later on at some of the movers over the first quarter now that we have the first three-month figures in. Let's move on now and kick off with some news and announcements. And I'm going to start off by talking about some corporate developments. First up is BlackRock Greater Europe, ticker BRGE, where the board has decided not to implement the semi-annual tender offer in May that it had announced earlier, given that the shares have been trading at an average premium of 1.8% over the six months to the 28th of February. Now, if that was the trigger for the semi-annual tender offer, uh, is the performance of the shares of the trust. And the board considers obviously being sufficiently robust that they don't need to proceed with that tender offer. But their board says it will continue to monitor the rating and look to buy back shares and or operate six monthly tender offers if it's in the interests of the shareholders as a whole. And at the moment, BDRGE, which is a trust with a market cap of something in the region of 570 million, is trading around par. Obviously, Europe has not had a great first quarter, but uh, this is based on the figures over the last six months to the end of February. Moving on, we briefly mentioned a Crystal Amber Fund, ticker CRS, which is quite a small fund that we don't talk about that often where the company has announced that it had sent the board of Allied Mines, one of its portfolio investments, a requisition notice requiring the company to convene a general meeting 
and they were proposing a resolution to remove Harry Rain as a non-executive director. However, the news since then is that uh, Mr. Rain is decided to stand down from the board of Allied Mines, and as a result, the uh, corporate action that uh, Crystal Amber Fonda was proposing, which was to have him removed from the board of this portfolio company, has been withdrawn. So that uh, issue is over. Moving on, we come to Geiger Counter, ticker GCL. This is a investment trust that specializes in uranium and therefore one of several investment trusts which are benefiting from the current surge in commodity prices, including the uranium itself, which potentially is a significant gainer from the events in Ukraine, if to the extent that it leads to an increase in the provision of nuclear power and therefore greater demand for uranium. Here, what Kaikara is saying is that shareholders have the right to subscribe for ordinary shares on the basis of one new ordinary share for every five existing ordinary shares held on the 3rd of May, and the subscription price will be 37.84p, which was equivalent to the undiluted NAV on the reference date. And the deadline for the first annual subscription is 29th of April this year. So this is something that was announced earlier. Uh, Subscription shares are not something that we see quite so often these days as we used to do. And uh, this is a relatively small trust. It's still about 74 million, but it has performed very well recently. And uh, the other news there is that the chairman, Gareth Baird, recently retired after many years as a director and indeed chairman of this trust. Moving on now to Jupiter Emerging and Frontier Income, ticker JEFI. And there's been further news here about the proposals that the board had been making to change some of the arrangements uh, governing the continuation of this trust. Originally, they proposed a couple of measures to change the annual redemption facility that they were offering to shareholders. They were originally proposing to extend that from one year to three years and to limit the tender offer from 20% to 100%. Now, that provoked some reaction from shareholders. I had one of them on the phone this week explaining to me why they were unhappy with that changing the parameters of this redemption facility. And the news now is that the board saying that it's working on proposals to put to shareholders in the coming weeks, whereby in addition to offering them a full cash exit, uh, less costs, there will be a rollover option and discussions are underway with a number of investment management houses, including Jupiter itself. Uh, Meanwhile, the fund manager, Ross Teverson, it was announced, is leaving Jupiter and indeed left Jupiter on Thursday this week. He will be replaced by Matthew Pickett, who has worked alongside Ross Teverson for the last five years and has been involved in the management of the portfolio for the last two years. He will become lead fund manager, at least for a period, because clearly the implications of what uh, the board has announced here is that this trust is no longer viable as a standalone entity. If the shareholders weren't prepared to agree to the new proposals, which would have enabled the board to at least minimise the amount of shrinkage that might occur if it exercised the redemption facility. Uh, It now seems clear that the board has decided that there is no independent future for this trust, and it will therefore be looking either to be absorbed by another fund-managing house, or indeed there will be an offer from Jupiter as well, I dare say, for the board to consider. But if this happens, this is obviously been a disappointment for Jupiter. This trust was only launched in 2017, designed to extend the Jupiter range, 
but it's not performed particularly well and it trades on a discount. So the board has come to a not uncommon conclusion these days that it cannot survive as an independent entity, or at least perhaps I should say has not earned the right to continue as an independent entity. Moving on then, uh, still some more announcements. First up is the JP Morgan Global Growth and Income, ticker JGGI, which uh, I'm sure listeners will remember is effectively taking over the Scottish Investment Trust, the venerable Scottish Investment Trust, ticker SCIN. That uh, proposal was agreed by shareholders towards the end of last year. And the original proposal was that this uh, merger, which would effectively see the Scottish Investment Trust merged into JP Morgan Global Growth and Income, uh, it was intended that would be concluded around the end of this current quarter, but the board is now saying that that is unlikely to be completed until the end of the second quarter this year. That's not that material in the sense that JP Morgan has already taken over the management of the portfolio and is uh, managing it in line with the new investment strategy that shareholders approved back in December. Meanwhile, the update on this particular deal includes the news that the buy-in of the benefits under the pension scheme Remember that Scottish Investment Trust is a self-managed trust uh, and therefore had own employees and a pension scheme, unusually for an investment trust structure, and also owned its own head office. Well, the sale of that head office is going to be agreed in the near future, the board now says. And meanwhile, the buy-in of benefits under the pension scheme, which have accrued to the employees, has now been completed with a third party in Shora. A prospectus and circular in connection with this scheme to wind up proceedings as far as the Scottish Investment Trust is concerned is going to be published following a meeting of the debt holders of Scottish Investment Trust. Uh, The shares, meanwhile, of the Scottish Investment Trust have now moved in as we expected as soon as the news came through that the merger was going to go ahead and that is now trading just a little bit under par. Moving on to fundraising, and this week we've seen a couple of announcements about fundraising. The first is that uh, we had the result of the placing by Greencoat Renewables, that's ticker GRP, uh, one of several renewable investment trusts that uh, have been trading at a noticeable premium for some time, and therefore a very favourable backcloth for issuing new shares, even in these difficult markets, Uh, obviously helped by the fact that energy prices have been going up around the world as a consequence not just of the Russian invasion but also the uh, tightening of the market for oil and gas and so on. So the Russell placing was a, it was a good result for Green Creek Renewables. They raised uh, 281 million euros at a price of 1 euro 12 cents uh, and the shares are now trading at 1 euro 14. The purpose of the Fundraising is to pay down the revolving credit facility that the Trust has uh, and also to contribute towards the uh, 600 million euro pipeline of assets that uh, Greencoat Renewables has, of which uh, 228 million euros have already been committed. So the shares that issue was done at a small premium to the last NAV of 1 euro 8 cents and the shares, as I said, are now trading back at 114 that was a successful raise for Greencoat Renewables. And in the wake of that, we've heard this week that Gore Street Energy Storage Fund, ticker GSF, one of a couple of trusts which have done very well by promising to invest in energy storage facilities, 
And pending shareholder approval on the 12th of April at the AGM, the board of Gore Street Energy Storage Fund is proposing a £75 million raise via the issue of some 68 million shares at an issue price of 110p. They're also looking for scope to increase the size of that issue to a maximum of 136 million shares if overall demand exceeds that 68 million share initial target. The issue price of 110p is a 4.35% discount to the closing share price on the 28th of March, which was uh, 115p, and a 5.87% premium to the 31st December NAV, which was 103.9p. The investors who take part in the initial issue of the 75 million raise will be entitled to receive the next quarterly dividend. And the closing date for Plating is 11 o'clock on the 12th of April. And the shares since then, they are trading at around 113p. Still a comfortable premium to the last NAV. The prospectus of this particular issue has been issued and uh, we'll wait to see how that pans out. On current form, you'd expect that target to be comfortably met. So now, as promised, we're going to take a short break and we're going to include a little extract from the uh, Moses and Methuselah podcast that I mentioned at the uh, top of the program. This is, as I said, a, a regular half-hourly conversation I have with the fund manager, Peter Silen. And uh, very interesting. We, this week, we talked about the way the war was developing. We talked about the uh, prospects for a ceasefire or some kind of settlement and in what form that would take if it did occur. And then we moved on to talk about the financial markets. And uh, I put a question to Peter about what he thought was happening, what, how he interpreted the recent moves in the bond market and the stock market. And so this is an extract from his uh, answer. Jonathan, I think that the situation on the bond market, which we can talk about first, is very complicated indeed, very complex. The situation in the equities market is if you like, also complicated, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit less so. So if we start with the government bond markets, you're, you're quite right. The, the yields have risen very dramatically, especially in the two leading bond markets, which are the US and the German bond market. And it's been actually a bloodbath for investors over the last, let's say, six to nine months. There's been a relentless rising of yields. But on the other hand, what is crystallizing now and what's happening, what's been happening in the last couple of weeks is that the American yield curves appears to have been flattening and could potentially be inverting. So that would indicate what they call stagflation, which is you have stagnation in the economy. And there are quite a few signs of that already now. And it could be made worse by the new Omicron COVID variant. I mean, for example, in your country, the COVID cases are exploding as they are in other countries um, around Europe. So that could produce a stagnation in the world economy, uh, or even a recession in the world economy. And that would be reflected in the longer duration bond yield, say the 10 year yield, which admittedly has gone up. And admittedly, if it pierces that 2.4%, it could be in for a much rougher ride. I agree with that. 
But on the other hand, rate rises have been so well documented that it should have pierced that level a long time ago. So the stagnation part of stagflation is reflected in the longer bond yields, whereas the inflation part of stagflation is reflected in the shorter bond yields, say the two-year bond yields, which have been going up quite sharply. And clearly, as bond market investors, they have taken a great big haircut, not only in nominal terms, but also in real terms. Um, because bond investor, investing in bonds today is a sure way of a permanent loss of capital, certainly in real terms. So that's been a disaster area. But on the other hand, on the positive side of, of the equation, if we do, do have a slowing down economy, then the central banks will think again before they aggressively continue to raise rates. They'll think again. And you could interpret the stock markets, the equity prices that have not only stabilized but actually bounced back to an extent, of being reflective of that very scenario. You have been listening to an extract from the Moses and Methuselah podcast with Jonathan Davis and Peter Silen. To hear the full episode, visit www.mosesandmethuselahpodcast.com or search for Moses and Methuselah in your favourite podcast service. Now back to the Weekly Investment Trust podcast. So now we can move on to results and we're going to kick off by talking about Pershing Square Holdings, ticker PSH who has produced his annual results for the year to the 31st of December last year, during which period the NAV total return was 26.9%, which is slightly below the S&P 500's 28.7% total return over the year. Uh, the share price return, however, was only up 18.6%, as the discount widened from 23% to 28.3% over the course of the year. And this has been obviously a long-running issue for Pershing Square Holdings, uh, and also for the other hedge fund investment trusts that uh, we track, particularly with uh, Dan Loeb's Third Point Investment Trust, where he's been in some not entirely unabrasive dialogue with his shareholders. The old Barney there continues, meanwhile. But uh, the most notable contributor to the performance uh, last year included Lowe's, Universal Music Group, and uh, the interest rate hedge that Pershing Square Holdings had while the most notable detractor was its commitment to Pershing Square Tontine Holdings. This, you may recall, was the SPAC that uh, Pershing Square Holdings was going to launch and to back uh, and be rewarded for in the form of warrants if it was successful. And you'll recall that uh, the gentleman who runs Pershing Square Holdings, which is Bill Ackman, had struck a deal to acquire a 10% stake in Universal Music Group, uh, one of the big music royalty and publishing companies, but this was blocked on technical grounds, and therefore the SPAC has yet still to complete a transaction. Instead, however, Pershing Squareholders bought the stake in Universal Music Group itself directly, while positions in Starbucks and Agilent Technologies were exited. In January this year, also, a substantial majority of the interest rate hedge was sold, with the proceeds invested in a new core position. This, again, has attracted some attention in the States because... The target of that investment was Netflix, the streaming service whose shares have taken a significant fall so far this year, along with many other tech stocks. Netflix is, of course, one of the fangs. 
in uh, the States, the stocks that have dominated performance over the last couple of years. But that's all come grinding to a halt this year. However, what the manager, Bill Ackman, has to say, he remains concerned about inflation and has since uh, re-established that uh, similar asymmetric interest rate swaps from position to protect the portfolio if markets fall. In other words, so that's proved very successful over the course of the last year, but uh, it's going to be reintroduced this year. Funds debt to capital ratio is currently standing at around 21%. And the trust, more importantly, perhaps is increasing its quarterly dividend by 25% to one eighth of a dollar for the remainder of this year. And it says that in future, quarterly dividends will be equal to 0.25% of the average NAV in December of the previous year and capped at 1.25% of the average total dividend in previous three years. So essentially, this is just one of a number of measures that uh, Pershing Square Holdings is taking in an effort to reduce the discount, which remains very wide, around 30%. So the market's love affair with US-based hedge funds still shows no sign of being reignited, uh, judging by the levels of discount that prevail on both this trust and uh, a couple of its uh, peer group, including Third Point. However, a persistent discount is certainly not a problem for the next trust that we're going to talk about, which is BH Macro, which has two share classes, a sterling and a dollar share class. So that's ticker BHMG and BHMU, both of which are trading at a premium. The annual results for this trust were out this week for the period ending 31st of December. And, well, the returns of this uh, particular hedge fund, which is managed by Brevin Howard, and whose uh, objective is to generate consistent long-term appreciation through active leverage trading and investment on a global basis. In other words, this is a global trust that uses a variety of hedge fund techniques to try and deliver uh, persistent absolute returns. And uh, this is obviously BH Macro and BH Global, another investment trust which invests in Brevin Howard Funds. They merged last year after quite a long protracted dialogue between the two trusts uh, to create a single larger entity. And the result of the year, anyway, was that the uh, sterling NAV total return was 2.8% and the dollar NAV total return 2.7%. Overall, the, the trust says relative value strategies and trading in inflation, volatility and some minor markets performed quite well, as did the capital deployed early in the year into digital assets. However, given that the overall environment was more difficult for traditional macro trading, it was a year of mixed results. The merger with the BH Global did, however, happen. You may remember that uh, part of that new deal was that uh, Brevin Howard would continue to receive their 2% management fee, which had earlier been cut and which uh, prompted some argument with the shareholders. So the manager commented that the macro landscape in 2022 appears as complicated as at any time during the post-war period. And so while this was a particularly uninspiring year, if you like, for BH Macro last year, it has performed quite well during the market sell-off so far this year and now trades a significant premium. Again, last year, while this uh, disagreement about the fee structure was continuing, the shares actually moved out to a quite unusual discount, getting on for nearly 10% at one point, as I recall. But that is the shares are now trading back at a premium because of the perceived value of this kind of approach, particularly in tough markets. So that continues, that particular merged entity. 
We can now move on and talk about some other investment trust results, starting with JP Morgan, UK Smaller Companies, ticker JMI. This is managed by Georgina Britton and a, and a colleague. They produced interim results for six months to the 31st of January, during which period the NAV total return was negative, minus 9% versus the benchmark, the NSCI and AIM X Investment Trust Index of 4.5% decline. And the share price performance was unfortunately worse, a total return of minus 12.2%, as the discount widened from 8 to 11.5%. This has been, as we know, a particularly tough period for smaller company investment trusts, which have sold off fairly dramatically uh, in the last three to four months. However, no shares have been repurchased as of yet, the company said, during the, the six months to 31st of January, despite the discount widening. Uh, key contributors to the performance included Watches of Switzerland, Next 15 Communications, and other companies, while the main detractors were CMC, Games Workshop, and a recent IPO, disappointing IPO, Victorian Plumbing. Uh, during the half year, the gearing on this trust ranged from 7.9% to 10.5%, ending the half year at 9.5%. As the managers say, they took advantage of some perceived attractive valuations. Not surprisingly, these shares continue to trade at a discount. They're around uh, 12%, I think, something of that order. Even though they've had a very strong performance over the last five years, this trust, has, uh, which has been uh, managed by a very strong J.P. Morgan smaller companies team for a number of years uh, with a good track record, uh, they have suffered along with many of the other in the peer group. So just for example, to take a comparison of the discounts, some of those trusts in there, We've talked about this a number of times with Simon over the last few weeks. So uh, while we still have trusts like BlackRock, Throckmorton and Odyssean still trading around par, not at a discount, the better quality beasts, if you like, in the sector. Uh, as we go down the list, you can see that discounts have widened quite significantly in a number of cases. JP Morgan UK smaller companies is, as I say, out at around 11-12%, uh, but there are those which are still on wider discounts still, like Henderson Smaller Companies, which is on around 12% discount, BlackRock Smaller Companies, River and Mercantile, Aberforth Smaller Companies out on a 13% discount, and so on. And many of these trusts have suffered from significant decline in NAVs and widening discounts. Moving on then, we can talk about Invesco Bond Income Plus, ticker BIPS or BIPS, annual results to 31st of December, NAV total return plus 5.3% and a share price total return of 4.2%. That's pretty much in line with the benchmark, the sterling hedged European currency high yield index, and slightly ahead of the average for companies in that sector. The dividend of this one was increased by 7.5% though to 10.75p, which was 97% covered by earnings. The 11p dividend target for the next three years has been set following the merger with Invesco Enhanced Income last year, in which the two, these two Invesco debt funds or bond funds were merged together as part of a general consolidation theme within the sector. And uh, ongoing charges have fallen from just under 1% to 87 basis points. We can compare that to some extent with the next trust, Henderson High Income Trust, ticker HHI which is also trading at around par. Uh, they've produced their annual results, and the NAV total return for this one was 19.8%, 
which compares with the 14.1% benchmark return, obviously a different benchmark from the Invesco Bond Income Trust. The share price total return for this one was 27.9% as the discount narrowed and it's come into trade quite close to par as well, this particular trust. Revenue return was 9.4p and the dividend was 9.95p, so not entirely covered, but this was the ninth consecutive year of dividend growth. Therefore, the trust had to use a modest amount of revenue reserves, of which about 8.4 million remain, which would be equivalent to around two-thirds of the annual dividend. This trust, which is managed by David Smith at Janus Henderson, trades in the UK equity and bond income sector and has around 290 million of assets. Uh, the dividend yield is one of the key attractions, of course, for a high income trust is currently around 5.6%. We can move on to talk about Aberdeen Asian Income Fund, ticker AAIF which produced annual results last year for the 12 months to 31st of December. The NAV total return on this one was 11%, which compares with the MSCI All Companies Asia-Pacific Ex-Japan High Dividend Yield Index total return, currency adjusted, of 8.1%. So in other words, they slightly outperformed the benchmark. Uh, the share price total return, however, was only 5.2% as the discount widened out to around 12%. Uh, the key contributors were modest weighting in China, uh, given the regulatory uncertainties following, if you like, the crackdown on, on the education sector and other companies, and some positive security selection in Australia, Taiwan and Singapore banks. The dividend was increased by 2.2% from 9.3p to 9.5p for the year. Now, for a slightly different story, we can look at BlackRock Latin American Income, ticker BRLA, which has also produced some annual results. Now, this is an interesting one because the performance last year was pretty poor, frankly, uh, an NAV total return negative of minus 11.7% and a share price total return decline of 11%, uh, which compares with the 7.3% decline in the MSCI Emerging Market Latin America Index. Uh, so it was a poor year last year. Performance is negatively impacted by overweight allocation to Brazil, uh, and only partially offset by having an overweight position also in Mexico, which performed strongly, whereas Brazil did not. The dividend has totaled 27.5 cents, up 19.5%, while revenue increased by 75% to 26.1 cents. So therefore, this dividend was also not 100% covered, but pretty close to it. So the dividends were financed through combination of net income and revenue and capital reserves as was previously announced. Now, what is interesting about this one is that earlier it announced that it was holding a 25% tender offer at a 2% discount to NAV less costs. So the tender offer under the uh, agreement that was reached four years ago was that every four years, the trust would put a tender offer to shareholders if either the NAV over that four-year period failed to beat the benchmark by at least 1%, 100 basis points, or the average discount over the period was higher than 12%. Well, in practice, the trust has underperformed its benchmark by just around 90 basis points, uh, though the discount has come in at, at, on average at 11.65%, so just beating the threshold for the tender offer. But it only required one of these two conditions to be met, uh, and so the tender offer was proposed. However, one of the interesting things about this trust is that obviously this year, Latin America is one of the few regions that has done particularly well. 
particularly because Brazil is such a significant exporter of commodities, all of which prices have been rising. And therefore, this trust has actually performed very well year to date. It's up around 30% in share price terms, which is pretty impressive. And it reflects the fact that it's a regional bias, which was a disadvantage uh, in the eyes of many shareholders last year, has now become a positive. So what the board is now proposing is that there will be a circular putting this tender off to the shareholders. And there'll also be a resolution to implement a similar performance and discount mechanism covering the next four years to end of December 2025. So you would think that maybe, whereas a few months ago, there might have been a significant take-up of the tender. It would be interesting to see whether that still now occurs, given that the performance in the last three months has been so strong. Moving on now to Japan, where a couple of trusts have reported annual results, uh, quite contrasting annual results, it has to be said. First off is Fidelity Japan, ticker FJV, a long-standing trust managed out of the Fidelity stable, where its annual results for 31st December, NAV was up uh, 1.8%, and the share price total return was 3.9% uh, versus 2% gain for the reference index. The uh, trust will be seeking shareholder approval of the AGM in May to increase the limit on unlisted companies from 10 to 20%, uh, in keeping with the trend that we've seen uh, across a number of markets and a number of trusts, uh, the belief that uh, there are potentially superior gains to be had from unlisted companies. Uh, at the end of 2021, the fund held six such companies, unlisted companies, which accounted for about 5% of the portfolio. There will be a triennial continuation vote at the AGM. Again, it will be interesting to see how this one uh, plays out. The shareholders' distrust has been around for many, many years, since the 1990s at least, and uh, it has performed on the whole pretty well over the longer term. But over the last three years, the return, in keeping with the relatively poor performance of the Japanese equity market, has been not exactly exciting, but it's a three-year NAV total return of around 23%, which is roughly in line with the sector as a whole. And over five years, the return is around 52% over that period. So that's Fidelity Japan. And then we might be able to compare that perhaps to its disadvantage with the Nippon Active Value Fund, ticker NAVF, which has a very different uh, strategy. Fidelity Japan is a fairly conventional equity investment trust, whereas uh, Nippon Active Value has a policy of activism regarding Japanese companies and attempts to improve governance and balance sheet management from many of the companies that it targets as an investment. Uh, so its annual results, in contrast to Fidelity Japan, which eked out a very small gain over the year, the NAV total return for Nippon Active Value was 22.3%, which compares with the MSCI Japanese Small Cap Index, uh, of minus 1.4%. So that was significant uh, improvement over the index. Share price total returned 26.8% as the discount narrowed somewhat. As I said, the fund focuses on special situations. So returns are expected to differ markedly from the peer group. And that indeed is what has happened as far as this trust is concerned. So as I said, this trust trades in the Japanese smaller companies sector, where it can be compared uh, usefully to stalwarts such as Bailey Gifford Shin Nippon or JP Morgan uh, Small Cap Growth and Income. And the performance of this trust has obviously been quite notably superior to those of the more conventional Japanese trusts. So, so far, so good for that one. That still trades at a small, modest discount to NAV. 
Moving on, we can now talk about RTW Venture Fund. We're moving more into the private equity space. RTW Venture Fund is ticker RTW. This is now a £300 million investment trust, but it's had a tough year last year. Annual results for the 31st of December, NAV down 13% and the share price down 5%, which compares uh, with a 1% rise in the NASDAQ Biotech Index and a 20% decline in the Russell 2000 Biotech Index. So this is a trust that specialises in relatively early stage biotech companies. The largest detractor from performance was Rocket, which fell heavily in line with the other companies in the gene therapy sector and was affected by delayed clinical trials, partially offset by some of the private company holdings and the IPO of a number of uh, portfolio companies, including Landos, Immunocore, Prometheus uh, and others. So 21 new core portfolio positions were added, taking the total up to 42, of which 17 are listed and 25 are private companies. Two-thirds of the NAV has been invested in the core portfolios, and meanwhile nine portfolio companies IPO'd, with an average 1.9 times step-up from the initial investment to the point of IPO. The manager believes that the biotech sector is now looking extremely attractive following historically significant de-rating of small-cap biotech companies. And that's uh, certainly been the case, that there has been a significant re-rating, not just of biotech generally, but also of small caps in particular. Moving on to the Shehalian Fund. This is the Bailey Gifford Fund that invests in uh, so-called growth capital sector, ticker MNTN and MNTC. There's a C-share issue, outstanding. And the performance over the year to the 31st of January, NAV was up 7.6%, uh, while the ordinary share price was up 17.8%. Obviously, therefore, some re-rating of this particular trust. It has traded a premium pretty much its whole life uh, since it was launched in 2019. The company reports that 60% of the C-share proceeds have been invested in 20 different companies, which is ahead of the target and faster rate of investment than in the main asset pool of this trust. Five companies have holdings have listed during this period. That's Wise, Allbirds, Warby Parker, Oscar Health and Zimogen. And another portfolio company, Grail, was taken over by a larger peer, Illumina. However, the values of the quoted stocks have been impacted by the recent market sell-off. And uh, a firm was the biggest detractor for the ordinary shares, Uh, but the manager noted good operational performance there. So it's been a bit of a mixed bag for the Shehalian Fund. Most private holdings, the company says, continue to grow rapidly and saw their valuations rise in 2021. However, and this is uh, perhaps more relevant, the carrying values were reduced in January, uh, the last month of which this company has now been reporting, uh, due to the general market sell-off. And so that might well have continued uh, since then. We'll wait to see that. So that continues, though, to trade at a significant premium. We can move on to the infrastructure and renewable energy sector, kicking off with Octopus Renewables Infrastructure Trust, ticker ORIT. Annual results for the year ended 31st of December. The NAV total return was 9.3%, and uh, the company noted it's up 12.1% total return since the IPO back in December 2019. Uh, The total capacity, excluding conditional acquisitions, is now 494 megawatts of capacity, a significant increase from the 2020 figure of 315 megawatts, with a further 425 megawatts of capacity subject to conditional acquisitions. The company noted that it had no exposure to Ukraine, Russia or Belarus. 
total generation during the year was just under 350 gigawatt hours, a 23% increase over the previous year, but slightly 3.4% under budget. However, the effect of that lower generation was offset by higher power prices and compensation claim from performance guarantee variances. In other words, where performance was less than had been guaranteed. The uh, basic earnings per share came in at 8.2p compared with 2.75p in 2020 and total dividends of 5p were paid, which were fully covered. The target dividend has now been set at 5.24p for 2022 for the current year, uh, and that represents a potential prospective dividend yield of 4.65% uh, based on the share price of 112p. So that one is getting up to speed quite nicely. We can move on and talk about uh, BBGI Global Infrastructure, ticker BBGI, which also had annual results for the year ended 31st of December and also recently completed its 10th anniversary since IPO. So this is one of the big infrastructure trusts to come to the market after the global financial crisis. And performance since then has been pretty good. Uh, the company calculates that the total shareholder return since IPO has been 171% or 10.4% on an annualized basis, uh, which and that is higher than the 7 to 8% target, which was identified at the time of the IPO back in 2012. Uh, this one where the NAV was up 9.3%, where the key drivers included an unwinding of the discount rate, value accretive enhancements across the portfolio, and changes to macroeconomic assumptions, uh, which actually reduced the NAV by 1.1%, and adverse foreign exchange movements. So as usual, a number of moving parts. However, the crucial one for this maybe is the dividend. The dividend for the year has been declared at 7.33p, which was 1.3 times covered by cash. The dividend target of 7.8p for 2022 represents a prospective yield of 4.3%, so just slightly lower than that of the Octopus Renewables Infrastructure Trust. And the dividend target's also been set for the following two years, 7.63p for 2023 and 7.78p for 2024. So a good set of results for this trust, but it does trade at a significant premium one of the largest premiums in the sector, reflecting its uh, strength of many core infrastructure projects with long life. Uh, and that is what brings the dividend yield down to below 5%. We can move on then and talk about Schroeder BSC Social Impact Trust, ticker SBSI, which had interim results for the six months to the 31st of December. The NAV total return was 0.9%, I just less than 1%. But the annualised NEV total return since the launch in December 2020 is calculated at 6.9%. The shares are trading at uh, around 105p now. Uh, and so that calculation is based on the effective initial price of 98p at the time of the IPO after launch. The target NEV total return is remains at uh, CPI, consumer price inflation, plus 2% per annum once the trust is fully invested. The net proceeds of the IPO and of November 2021 placing have been fully committed by February 2022, which is ahead of target, with 60 million deployed at the period end. So portfolio returns to date have been driven, the company says, by more seasoned investments in a maturer phase, primarily from the seed portfolio purchased from big society capital at the time of the IPO. 
you'll remember that this trust has a target of investing in projects that have high social impact. Uh, and those investments include a charity bond portfolio, real lettings, property fund, and Bridges Evergreen Fund. Uh, and the company says the investments are already delivering significant social impact and that 80% of the underlying revenue comes from UK government-backed sources. Next, we can talk about Impact Healthcare REIT, ticker IHR, one of the healthcare property trusts. Uh, and results, again, for the year 31st of December, NEV per share up 2.6% from 109.58p to 112.43p. Total return 8.4% against a target of 9%, so roughly more or less in line. At the 31st of December, the property portfolio was valued at 497 million, give or take a pound or two, which was an increase of 40.6 million from the previous end year figure. Uh, that's made up of acquisitions of 26.9 million, disposals 1.3 million, and capitalized acquisition costs of 1.3 million, and a valuation uplift, perhaps the most important element here, of 12.9 million. At the year end, the portfolio consisted of 124 properties with 6,270 beds, and the adjusted earnings per share was 6.68p, a 13% increase, and the trust reports that it continues to benefit from 100% rent collection. Dividends totaled 6.41p per share for the full year, which was therefore covered by earnings, and the dividend target for 2022 is being set at 6.54p and the prospective yield on that basis at the current share price is around 5.35%. So that one is moving along nicely and trades around par as well. Next, we could talk about BMO Real Estate Investments, ticker BREI, which had interim results for the six months to 31st of December. The APRA NTA, Net Tangible Assets per Share, rose by 18.5% over the period, and the NAV total return was 20.6%. At the end of the year, the property portfolio was valued at $385 million, and its ungeared total return over the period in the half year was a significant outperformance of the MSCI quarterly property index, about 6% ahead of that particular index. The key drivers of performance were industrial assets. The trust sold a number of offices and acquired a number of industrial and retail warehouses. The net uh, loan-to-value ratio at the period end was 24.5%, and the rent collection was 99% over the year. So a full recovery from the very different conditions of 2020 in the wake of the pandemic. Quarterly dividends been increased to 1p per share, with effect from September 2021, and are now back to 80% of their pre-pandemic level, but only back to 80% of the pre-pandemic level. Uh, there was, however, a dividend cover 100% in the half year. Fund's lead manager, Peter Lowe, has decided to leave BMO, but he will remain the lead manager in the near term, and a further announcement will be made once a replacement has been found. Despite the recovery, however, this uh, trust continues to trade on quite a wide discount. I've got it down somewhere around 25%, something of that order, which uh, perhaps may be a little bit disappointing given how... Uh, well, this uh, particular trust has recovered from the damage it suffered during the pandemic. Finally, we can talk about uh, Phoenix Spree Deutschland, ticker PSDL. This is the trust that invests in German rental property in Berlin and other cities. It's produced some annual results of the year to 31st of December. 
the EPRA NTA for this one per share was up 7% from 5.28 euros to 5.65 euros, and the total return was 8.4%. In sterling terms, however, the uh, EPRA NTA was marginally down, and the total return was only 1% because of obviously currency movements. The fund bought back uh, 4.5 million shares, about 4.5% of its share capital, for a total of 17.7 million at an average discount of 18% to the end year NTA per share. At the year end, the portfolio was valued at 801 million euros with like for like valuation growth of 6.3% over the year. The net loan to value ratio was 34.7%. And the dividend has been set at 7 euros 50 cents, equivalent to 6.27p for the year which is similar to the dividend that was paid in 2020. So this trust has, again, another one that has seen some recovery, at least since there was an abortive attempt to introduce quite restrictive rent controls in Berlin. Uh, But this was actually challenged by this company and others, and uh, there was a ruling from a German court that that attempt was not valid, and this has enabled this particular share to come back. So that brings us to the end of the results section. We had quite a lot of results this year, and it's possibly a good moment to quickly look at some of the movements over the first quarter of the year. And if we do that, it's not totally a surprise. It's become a fairly familiar pattern over the last few weeks. So in share price terms, if we look down the list of the top 15 performers year to date, these are figures as of Friday morning, uh, we can see very near the top Riverstone Energy, City Natural Resources, BlackRock Latin America, we mentioned them, BlackRock World Mining, BlackRock Energy and Resources Income. So all the resources trusts pretty much have done well. They're leading the share price performance table all up around somewhere between 25 and 40% in share price terms. And Geiger Counter, which we've also mentioned uh, today, that's up around uh, 18% year to date. In NAV terms, the, the names are, are pretty similar, though I'd also mention uh, in the top 15, we can see Tritax Big Box REIT, uh, which is, is up around nearly 15%, continues to churn out some very good uh, performance. And also BMO Real Estate Investments, the one we've just mentioned, it's improving performance. It's resulting in 11% improvement in its NAV year to date. Among the ones that have suffered most over the quarter, first quarter of this year, we can see, well, JP Morgan Russian Securities, that obviously has had a very tough time. Uh, though its shares have perked up a little bit in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, That's lost uh, something around 80% in share price terms and uh, even more in reported NAV terms, though there is some question mark about exactly what the uh, true NAV of that one is, given the fact that the Russian stock market has been closed for most of that period since the invasion. What else have been performing poorly? Well, in NAV terms, we can see Bailey Gifford European growth. A couple of the China trusts had a tough quarter, Scottish Mortgage up down nigh on 22% this year. And smaller companies, BlackRock, Throgmorton, a very strong performer in recent years, down 21.7%. Uh, and some Japanese trust, I can see Biotech Growth Trust, Montanaro UK Smaller Companies, uh, and Fidelity Japan, another one we mentioned so far today. And BlackRock Great Europe Trust as well. They're both down around just shy of 20% in NAV terms. So it's been a pretty volatile quarter and there have been some clear winners and losers and uh, also some 
significant discount movements, uh, which have accentuated the share price declines in a certain cases uh, and also benefited others. So, for example, Riverstone Energy seen the discount move in from a very, very wide 50% to somewhere around 35% over the quarter. That's one significant mover. Most of the others, some specialist debt funds and some energy renewable energy trusts have seen their ratings improve, including the Energy Story Trust that uh, I mentioned is now going to do some fundraising. And then amongst the worst performers in terms of discount, well, the Shehalian and Chrysalis are, are pretty near the top of the list. The fact that they hold these unlisted growth capital stocks, they've both seen uh, something around a 30% change or 27 to 34% change in their discount. However, slightly different experience. Shehalian is still trading at a significant premium, come down from an even higher premium, whereas Chrysalis has moved from a modest premium to a 20% or so discount. Uh, a big question mark in both these cases over, obviously, what the current NAVs are, given the market developments this year. And meanwhile, we've also seen a bit of a derating in Seraphim Space, that newcomer to the stock market, which some of the shine has come off that one, and uh, a number of other trusts, including Augmentum Fintech, which has gone from a significant premium to a near 8% discount. So it's been a very volatile quarter for reasons that I think are well known and much debated. The question now, of course, is quite often the first quarter does mark something of a turning point in the behaviour of the markets over the course of a year. We'll have to wait and see whether that turns out to be the case or not. In any event, next week, Simon will be back to uh, lend his expert knowledge and opinions to our podcast. And it only remains for me to say that for subscribers to the Moneymakers Circle, we have a profile this week of the Mobius Investment Trust, which has been performing very well in comparison to its peer group in the emerging market sector, as well as our regular features, a complete roundup of the latest news and performance data over the quarter and over the week, and my own comments in the editor's notebook. Next week also, we have a couple of interesting Q&As with interesting fund managers, uh, topical subjects, and the performance of investment trust being one of them. So that's it for this week, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. This has been a Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. These podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on all leading podcast channels. You can sign up on the Moneymakers website, www.money-makers.co, to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Thank you for listening. And if you want more news, analysis, interviews and other investment trust content, don't forget to take a look at our premium service, The Moneymakers Circle, available now at the website.